Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America Prospect Podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer alongside Josh Norris, coming to you from the uh, Swan Resort Disney World in uh, Lake Buena Vista, Florida, here at the Winter Meetings at uh, 12.56 in the morning. <laughs> taking you through Brewers Prospects. Hey, prospect season never sleeps. Josh, we saw a lot of these guys come through Carolina this year. A couple more uh, were uh, in the Arizona Fall League. Some you know, of them are the same ones who were in Carolina, but yeah. You know, when I look through this Brewers, you know, list as it's come out, Tom Hodricourt, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel put it together for us. Lewis Brinson at one, Brandon Woodruff at two, Corbin Burns at three, Keston Hur at four, Monty Harrison at five. For me, I see five guys that are firmly top one hundred guys who should have an impact at the major league level. I I mean, I just look at this list and I think I give this system an incomplete for this year. Quite frankly, Brinson was hurt. I think Woodruff was hurt part of the year. He made it. He got called up to make his major yep. debut, and injury struck before he actually made the start. Hero was hurt. Harrison was not hurt for the first time in a while. Uh, Isan Diaz was hurt. Corey Ray, I'm going to give a pass on this year. Just he did not have a great year, but he was a little young for the level, if I remember correctly. Uh, even though I think he repeated it. Um, I, I, there's got to be a little more there than what we saw. So, there. I, I would just give this this system a little bit of a, a pass for this year. You know, it's interesting because I I see what you're saying. A lot of guys had injuries. A lot of guys had down years. But I still think and a lot we of guys saw, were young for high A. That that big. Cluster. But we saw. But we saw Corbin Burns shoot up, demonstrate. Hey, he is a real dude. Louis no Brinson made his extended major league debut. Woodruff got there. Maybe it's because I'm a Southern California guy. To me, there's zero doubt. Keston Hero will be an impact bat moving forward. And Monty Harrison, I mean, for me, we talk about the top, you know, the top of a system with what matters most. Monty Harrison showed when he's healthy this year, you talk about a game-changing talent, offensively at least. Defensively. Defensively. There were times he looked great, and there were other times in the fall league where he got really bad reads. Oh, I thought it was nothing but excellent. There was a few random ones, but I think they were out of character, because you're right. There are times you saw him in center field, you saw him in right field, a guy that could be a true impact player. And for me, when you have a top five in your system of two guys in the majors... Starter moving quickly, two real true impact bats. To me, that's as well rounded of a top five as as most other systems. And again, on Hira, I I do think he's going to be something, but I would like to see a pre- premium college bat out of you know was it Irvine? UC Irvine. Irvine tested at somewhere other than the AZL and a little bit of the the Midwest League. I want to see him against. His own caliber of competition, and a lot of that was because he was down. Right, you know, he was no, down there, there getting his elbow rehab. So, but no, and that's fair. You know, as much as that top five to me, that is a separate tier. You kind of hit on a little bit. The next was a group of guys. You know, Luis Ortiz did not have a great year. Brett Phillips had a very good year, and and Brett Phillips is a guy that you know we've had some discussions about him. I saw him a lot in Lancaster. He had a rough year at Double A, but he actually you know has done pretty well. His major league stint last year was really solid. I had one scouting director tell me he thought that Brett Phillips was a top 100 caliber prospect at midseason. He's if got you, a, you, he's got an elite level arm. He's got an elite level laugh. He's a possum catcher. <laughs> I will take him. I mean, he's a guy that I, I think when you look at number seven prospects in a lot of systems, this is a guy. I mean, I don't know how many other number seven prospects I could say. Hey, this is a real dude who has a real chance to be a solid average everyday big leaguer. And oh, by the way. Is there? You don't have to project a whole lot. Well, I didn't think you can find that in some some in some systems. There are some pretty elite systems out there with with number seven that are fifty meads mediums here. Um, yeah, he's he's going to be a good player. 
you've got Brinson, who's a little ahead of him, obviously. You've got Braun. You know, there's there's Domingo Santana. Domingo Santana, right. he's on the block. I don't know where exactly he's gonna, uh, where Phillips is gonna play in the immediate future, but he'll go to Colorado Springs and keep on mashing because that's what happens. It'll be interesting to me to just see what his role is moving forward because again, if he hits like he did last year, that's starter level production. What he did in the major leagues, and I, I do believe that there's a guy in there who can be an everyday level major leaguer. What he can do for you offensive, defensively, but you're right. The Brewers do have a wealth of riches in the outfield a little bit, and the fact that they're contending, you know, it's not like Ryan Braun's on the trade block. In past years, it's been discussed, oh, should we move him to the Dodgers, clear the salary? But, but Domingo Santana is. Right, and that's where it's going to be interesting to see, okay, what you get back. And, and by the way, I think Domingo Santana, also former uh, Astros prospect, along former with Phillies, Phillips, yes. excellent, excellent player in his own right. He, you know, defensively wasn't great, but offensively, he's a very mm-hmm. talented player. And we forget, I mean, he's pretty young. Yeah, not a, not a seasoned vet by any means. I think the Brewers are in a really good shape with their outfield. All these guys we've talked about are there. I mean, I like some guys down further so, on so, this list. So the next tier is, is interesting to me. I'll, you've got Lucas Ursa, you've got Ison Diaz, you've got Corey Ray. Three guys who drew very mixed reviews for their performance this year at high. And, you know, Ursa was not actually below league average. He was right about league average. Corey Ray was 0.4 years below, uh, 0.6 years below league average. He was essentially league average. Uh, Ison Diaz was younger. Just what was your read on on this group of the Ursa Diaz Ray group? I mean, I Ray could not have performed much worse. I wanted. It could have been Javier Guerra, but yeah, in Lahaye. But yes, I, I get. Yes, I guess what, I get what you're saying. I'm on board. Yes, uh, he was underwhelming in just about every facet, but except maybe sometimes on defense. But he also is, you know, you've got a system with Brinson, and you've got a system with Trent Grisham now, and you've got a system with Monte Harrison. There's got a system with Brett, Brett Phillips is a better player than Corey Ray. Right. I'm just I'm going in even further down the depth chart there. There are other outfielders for center field, and there were better outfielders on his team for center field. Um, Monte Harrison was probably the best center fielder on that team. Um, Trent Grisham, formerly Trent Clark, his uh, his year was interesting. I'm not giving up on him because of power potential that I saw. And, you know, I pointed out to me that he drew 100 walks this year. That's nothing to sneeze at. If you've got strike zone discipline and power potential, those things tend to come together at the upper levels when umpires get a little better. And still bases efficiently. You know, it's interesting for me. Of all these guys, the guy I came out feeling best about was probably Ursig, because for him, me, he was a guy that showed you massive power, showed you a heck of an ability to play third base. Mm-hmm. And for me, watching him, it was an approach issue. He was overly aggressive, just would take this ginormous hack at the first pitch, even if it wasn't the pitch for him to hit. And that, to me, is something you can teach and refine a little bit. You know, Ice and Diaz, it's tough because he was hurt. Corey Ray, for me, was a guy that... Ursig got a mitigating factor, too. He was, for whatever reason, the Carolina League is, not for whatever reason, but the Carolina League is 10 teams, and you tend to get the same group of teams early, and those particular teams were lefty-heavy, so he was be- facing way more lefties than you get normally. So those, those numbers early on were skewed a little bit because he was facing so many lefties. At the same time, though, that's part of player development. Well, right, but you get you just, adjustment. Sure, you're, and that's... that's uh, a little bit of a blessing in disguise that you get all that, but it's not something you normally see on a regular basis is a, you know, a 50-60% lefty. Was that the joke uh, they were calling it the Kara Lefty League? Yes, that's the joke. Uh, that 
I want to say Tom Flanagan came up with or <laughs> Lucas. I'm not sure which, but uh, you know he was out in the fall league working on a little bit defensively and offensively approach wise. Um, he he was a very interesting and I thought impressive prospect down the stretch. You know he's the guy that of that group does rank highest on the prospect list, and, and truthfully he's the guy that I, I think just sensing both in our looks and talking to scouts, the guy that you have kind of the most general faith in. You know Corey Ray. I mean look, you and I saw it. Every scout, every like did not make a single adjustment. You know, it's one thing guy looks a certain way in April. Okay, go back in in June, nothing changes. Go back in in August, nothing changed. Go back in the fall league, nothing changed. And it was just, I think, a very concerning factor. You have a guy whose swing path, we saw it. Anything on the outer half of the plate, couldn't do anything with, just kind of flipped the bat head, never looked comfortable in the box. The one thing he hit, and I saw him hit this exact same pitch over and over again, and it was kind of funny to see a left-handed hitter do this. A breaking ball from a lefty, for whatever reason, he tracked it well, got the bat to the ball, especially if it was on the inner half. He'd drive that pitch again and again and again. But if you're a left-handed hitter and you can't, I mean, all you can do is at best foul off 92-mile-an-hour fastballs on the outer half of the plate, not even on the corner, just you know, over the plate, but on the outer half from a right-handed pitcher, there's not a whole lot there. A lot of strikeouts, a lot of three-pitch at-bats, a lot of weak contacts. He's a good athlete. You see some strength. You see some size. See a lot you see of some, strength. You, know, you see you see speed for a guy his size. He's pretty well put together. I mean, it's interesting. There's not a lot of scouts left after one year. I was amazed how many are jumping ship, but he has a pedigree. He's a fifth overall pick. I mean, where are you on the Corey Ray just train in general? I don't know what you do with him this year. I just don't know what you do with him. If you send him back to high class A you risk wrecking his confidence because he has spent all but like six games of his career at high A. At the same time, his performance does not dictate a move to double A. But you probably have someone coming behind him in, in at Wisconsin who could probably take that spot. Um, but you know, Corey Ray is, is one thing, but you just highlighted the guy that nobody can see. This is this is the radio. Uh, Freddie Peralta. We can't tell you where he's in the top ten. If you were asking me, who do I have more confidence in, reaching the major leagues and having a career in the major leagues, my answer would be Freddie Peralta, not only over Corey Ray, but possibly Ison Diaz as well. Well, I mean, it's, it's apples and oranges. They're both fruit, but it's a different thing. <laughs> different, but I, again, we go back to, you know, I feel like Peralta is almost the opposite of Peralta is the opposite because Ray looks the part, physical. Peralta doesn't look the part, well, but he's always been successful in pro ball. Well, it, the one I kept getting was, okay, so he was, they do a tandem start system. Um, and he was always tandem with Marcus, Marcus Deplon, who has better stuff, period. But he doesn't know what to do with it. He's a worse pitcher. Better stuff, worse pitcher. Freddie Peralta is the, the, the epitome of movement over stuff. His, he's got deception. He's got late life. He knows how to pitch, and he just gets out. And at some point, that matters. And he... Tore it up in high, uh, in high A. He tore it up in double A. As a 20-year-old, by the way. Right. And he was part of the Adam Lynn trade with Daniel Misaki. And I want to say there's one yep, more piece. one of the Mariners guys. The thing that I saw with Freddie Peralta that I liked as well, some guys, especially at the lower minors, come out and just try and blow it out their first inning. And by their third or their fourth inning, they're down. When I saw him make, uh, make his appearances, I saw his first inning come out 89 to 91. But he's moving it around. He was pit work, you know, working quickly, getting at bats, and then the second time through the order, when you know guys are gonna have a more comfortable look against you, against you, 
he'd ramp it up and you'd see the threes and the fours, occasionally a five. And so to me, it was a very mature pitcher who had the ability to dial up and down, but wasn't just dialing up and down in the sense of one at bat, you know, oh, I'm going to shoot 91, then come back 95. He was smart about deploying it over the second at bat, almost so that the, you know, the, pit, the guy who he was seeing him a second time was almost seeing a completely different pitcher and couldn't take what he learned that first at bat into his second. I'd be interested to see like just how many times you saw him where he was a true starter and where he was uh, whatever the, the sec- t- second Both times hat. I saw him, he was the starter. He was the guy pitching the first inning, and Deplon came in in the fifth or the sixth, depending on the game. See, I would, in- would be interested to see how that velocity, uh, that the way he held it and then deployed it later, happened when he came in in like the fifth or whatever. Right, and that's, you know, I think overall, I mean, this is a kid that I like him. I mean, I, you know, we can break down, you know, all things he does well. You mentioned it. We talked a little about it. It's a package that works. It's a profile that, you know, physically might not excite a lot of people, but gets the job outs done. Get exci- outs, outs excite people. Outs age. Again, if he was 25 doing this, different story. But he's 20. He's young. He, and But the arm works. There's deception. But some guys, it's deception, and it looks like it's a little strain. It's a clean arm action. It's some built other, to last. Some other guys I like on this list, and I don't think there's a lot of people who like this guy at 21, Cody Madero's. I've seen him horrible. I've seen him terrible, but every so often he shows you the kind of stuff that makes you remember why he had cards at Jupiter in 2013, like eight deep. And I've seen him, you know, up to 97 from the left side with an absolute double plus slider. It some of the some of the pitches, if you don't know who's on the mound, you, it looks like Andrew Miller, but. So fleeting, <laughs> and that's you know for me there's no question if this guy has a role it's as it's as a reliever he was a tandem starter I didn't find a single scout who thought he's a starter down the road I mean it's no. a pure reliever but hey situational lefty and and if he can start getting to that role and lefties who could throw ninety seven are valuable <laughs> to say the least <laughs> yeah for him I'm just gonna miss look we've established. He will not throw enough strikes over three innings, four innings, Lord knows five innings. Can he do it over one inning? You think so, but we need to see it. And that's where I remember talking to a scout who said, you know, you know he's going to be a reliever. I would like to see the Brewers just do it now because at a certain point, he needs to learn how to, you know, pitch back-to-back days, get up at a moment's notice, all the little things that go into being a reliever. I think it'll be interesting to see how quickly the Brewers pull the trigger. A lot of times you will see that change made high to double-A, especially double-A to triple-A. But you're right, that the stuff is there. Some other guys on this list who are... I actually like the depth of this. I mean, talk about KJ Harrison. Dude can hit. Whether he can catch, we'll find out. Dude can really hit. Jacob Gatewood got contacts. Oh, by the way, he's back. He can hit. He's seen the ball better. The double-A numbers were down a little bit, but... Again, as a corner bench bat, absolutely. You haven't hit my guy yet. Number way down the list, Antonio Panero. That guy is a sorcerer. That guy <laughs> is a double plus glove. Easy, 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 easy. He makes plays that defy physics and vision and logic. I love him. <laughs> he. I don't know what he's gonna do with the bat, but he can definitely play major league shortstop. You know, one guy that I found interesting, the guy who puts up the numbers. But scouts were still lukewarm on was Cody Ponce. I remember uh, uh, Cody Ponce. I'm sorry, I, you're gonna laugh. There was a at my old job. There was a pitcher who had the same last name spelling Ponce. But yes, he's Cody Ponce. 
it's interesting. I remember talking to a scout and I said, you know, hey, what do you think? I said, I like him, but what is he? In terms of what the stuff is, it doesn't match up with, you know, we talk about people maybe not loving Peralta, you know, his size, his profile stuff-wise. They still see a little more than they see with Ponce. Again, I'm inclined to give the dude the benefit of the doubt because he's all he was successful at Azusa at uh, Cal Poly Pomona. He's been successful, you know, when he's had to go up and face, you know, the guys in pro ball. But I, I still sensed a lot of lukewarm, you know, scout seeing him as an organizational guy just because they didn't see the stuff that you see major league right handers have. Yeah, I mean, it it was never overpowering. And you, you, you did the stuff doesn't match up with did, the body. Did you ever see him top ninety three? I had him ninety. I only three. saw him like the once. Okay, I think just because the whatever the way. I right, it's like it you up. know, talk about a guy, a, a Peralta who there's times he's eighty nine, but you saw him touch a five. He could get there and move it around. With Ponce, it was pretty consistent a ninety to to a three. I, I know I didn't see more than a three, and I don't think got a report at ever more than a three. You know, it's interesting. I. I He's on a list, a list of a very good team, but to me, he's kind of that guy that I'm going to be most interested to see what he does next year. Because if he jumps to Double A and shows, hey, I can mix and match enough, a break, a secondary pitch takes a step forward, you know, something, just something that maybe grows a little bit. You know, I, I'm going to keep an eye on him as, as close as you know some of these big names. Okay, how's Corey Ray going to bounce back? How's Ison Diaz going to bounce back? Guys like that. It just personally, Ponce interests me. Maybe it's a little bit because he's a SoCal guy. I admit that, but um, just kind of that, you know, got to keep an eye on. There's uh, another guy on this list that we glossed over up toward the, the top, uh, Luis Ortiz. There's a guy who we saw what Josh Hader was capable of coming in and doing this year. as a, real, as a Luis Ortiz could do the same thing. He's got the dynamic fastball-slider combination that if he clicks – he could be one of those guys who comes up in the in the, the second half of the season and dominates. You know, he's a guy that I, I saw him when he was in the Rangers system at High Desert, and no one pitches well at High Desert, and he pitched well at High Desert. It's just, you know, he's he's a bigger guy. Fitness is always going to be a concern with him. I I think for me, anytime I see a guy with the stuff he has, but the strikeout rate just isn't there. I wonder, okay, is it something that you put him in relief and he plays up, or is it a bigger problem where he's just over the plate too much? You know, I think it's something else where it's you're trying to you're trying to get a guy to develop a changeup, and right. he might not be able to get to use that slider, that that nasty slider right. in the strikeout counts, and you're trying to get him also to not necessarily go for the strikeout every time. You're trying to get him to induce early contact to be a little more pitch efficient to keep him you know from blowing out. You're, yeah. you're teaching him how to be a complete pitcher rather than the two-pitch guy. Right, which is what you want. You know, he's 21 in double-A. This right. was a young guy. I, I don't think, you know, we still ranked him number six ahead of some very good prospects. I, he's going to be interesting to watch. You know, as we move back to the top, I do want to talk about Corbin Burns, fourth-round pick out of St. Mary's. Not a nobody. Like, people know he was on the Brewers' top 30 entering the year. Uh, I believe he was... Not, I think he's a minor league, league, minor league ERA leader, I think. Totally, totally, you know, exceeded all, all expectations, made himself into a top 100 prospect. I think what I found interesting when I saw him was this was not a guy, when, when I was out there, as much as his ERA was low and everything, he wasn't dominating. What he was doing was making every pitch he had to. There were times where 
the fastball would rise out on him, and he'd elevate and he'd walk two guys. But when he had to get the ground ball to escape with the double play unscathed, he got the ground ball double play. When he had to locate, even if he threw three curveballs that missed their spot, put himself, got behind the hitter, when he had to get the one in there for strike three, he got it. And that, to me, was just interesting watching a guy who wasn't as dominant as his numbers might indicate, but it was more reflection of when he had to make a pitch, he made it every and, time. And with him, nothing straight, just like Peralta, nothing straight. You can you can rack up a uh, a one nine or whatever it was ERA by striking out the world, or you can get ground balls and fly balls and get to hit him with a. And he got plenty of strikeouts. I mean, that's that's for me is a guy where okay, talk about a guy who, even if you pick the ball up out of his hand, it's not going to end up where you want it to be, and he has the combination of you know command, moxie, poise. To make the pitches he needs, I'll take that every single day. And oh, by the way, the stuff, it's not, you know, fringy stuff either. He was up to sit 96, uh, would sit more threes and fours, which, you know, take above average fastball. There's stuff, there's poise, there's some there's some life. We missed Mauricio Juban here, who's going to be a little interesting little piece as, as an infielder. And I will think it will always be helpful that he's bilingual. That's never a problem these days, and he's a high-character individual. You know, I think overall when I look at this Brewers list, and we talk about a, a team that was in playoff contention that probably a year before a lot of people predicted, sometimes you see these top ten lists, you say, okay, I see five guys who probably are really truly, you know, decent shot major leaguers, four or five others who are kind of a wild card type, and, you know, maybe a couple other guys who are sleepers. The Brewers, you go down... 12, 13, 14, you see reasonable pass to the big leagues for a lot of these guys without having to, you know, go over the top crazy projection. Now, I'm not saying that all 14, 15 of, of their top guys are going to end up in the big leagues at some point, but you mentioned a guy like a Dubon. You know, Trent Grisham is funky and awkward in a lot of ways, but left handed bat, gets on base a ton. Young tools, for the level, tools, tools, shows tools. power, steals bases efficiently. Like there's, there's a path there. There's a role path there, and there's still superstar potential there. I mean, there's that's beyond where I'm willing to go. But I, I will say that there's a overall. I think we can agree that this Brewer system both has that high. You know, I see five top hundred guys plus a depth group that, you know, for me has the Brewers. Look, it's always going to be tough competing against the Cubs, competing against the Cardinals. We know the Reds have, have started to draft some interesting guys. You know, the Pirates, for whatever struggles they've had, they've, they've still got a group of guys who are pretty talented with some, some nice pitchers on the way. But the Brewers are in good shape. I, I don't look at the Brewers and say, well, the, oh, this was you know, the year where it, was, where it was either this year or bust. I do feel like they're in, content, in position to contend for quite a while with the group they've got and in, in the system and in the majors. We're forgetting what else you can use this system for. Trades, you can go, you trades, can go get trades. Stuff. And that's been the biggest thing. Pitching side, Jimmy Nelson, you know, out for the year uh, after his injury. We saw Chase Anderson take steps forward. There's no question, though, that the Brewers probably do need the pitching help. And last year at the deadline, we saw them uh, tied to Sonny Gray. Obviously, that didn't happen. The offseason's still young. A lot of moves are being made. Names and rumors are, have been thrown out. I'm sure there's going to be one completed by the time we get done with this. Yeah, it <laughs> seems like it. I, I mean, overall, I do have to say, though, when I when I look at systems, and even though a lot of the guys at Carolina did not perform to the level we probably expected them to, 
you still saw the talent. And, and for me, I think when I think about all the guys I saw this year at Carolina and in the Arizona Fall League, you know, gosh, if Monty Harrison can stay healthy, it would not shock me if when all said and done, he's the guy who has the most major league impact on this list. Oh, on the Brewers? I thought they were going to say all the guys you saw this year. Like, no, 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 no. Uh, among all the Brewers guys. It yeah, would well, not that, shock me in the least. No, that could be a slam dunk center fielder type with, you know, offensive impact. I just, I keep seeing Mike Cameron. Every time, just the way he runs, the way he moves, his swing, his swag. I, I just keep seeing Mike Cameron. Did Mike Cameron ever take off his shirt in the middle of a Midwest League All-Star game? I don't know. But one thing Monty Harrison, <laughs> look, Mike Cameron was known for high strikeouts, especially early in his career. That is one thing with Monty Harrison, 30% K rate, uh, 5 or 6% walk rate. It wasn't it wasn't great, so that is something to watch moving forward. But you saw the skills, you saw the tools, you saw it all. And then I know you, you thought very highly of him, I thought very highly of him. And I mean, you did the Carolina League uh, top 20 prospects list. They were... There was people who liked him more than guys who have been I, top fifty prospects for us. I think he ranked the highest of this the whole Brewers group he in did. the Carolina League. Yeah, they they was behind some guys like uh, your, your Eloys, your Victor Robleses, your Tristan McKenzies. Who your Tristan uh, McKenzies I remember at one is, point the feedback you were getting was he could even potentially go above McKenzie and McKenzie's, I don't know, one of the top seven or eight pitching prospects in baseball. Yeah, McKenzie got. Some interesting reviews, but that's another podcast. That's another podcast. That's uh, the Teddy Cahill podcast. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, I think that'll about do it. It's one twenty-two in the morning. We've got the Rule 5 draft tomorrow. and in uh, 7 hours and 38 <laughs> minutes. That's, it's a labor of love, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you again. Uh, feel free to uh, keep downloading these podcasts and check out BaseballAmerica.com where you can subscribe. we got all our top tens. We have Prospect Handbook coming out. Feel free to go ahead and get your pre-orders in. Almanac is uh, on its way to doorstep soon as well, so make sure and check it all out. For Josh Norris, I'm Kyle Glazer. Have a good night, everybody.